the book of Romans, chapter number 12. This is our last message in this chapter. I hope that uh, in some way, for someone, that it will have been a profitable study. If you'll remember, in the first two verses, we talked about a call to surrender. I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. We are called upon to surrender our bodies. But what does that look like? What does that mean? Uh, So he knew we would ask that question. So when we come to verse 3, all the way down through verse number 16, uh, we see a call to service. And uh, a lot of folks miss the context of this chapter, and that is it has to do with the body of Christ. And when we present ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice, we do that by presenting ourselves, making ourselves available, as it were, to the body of Christ. That is the Lord's church. And uh, we each one are members in that body, And each one of us has a particular function to perform. We've got a job to do. And the real key to the church being successful uh, is not that we've got a bunch of superstars, but rather that, that each and every one of us work in harmony with all of the rest of the body and fulfill our role, play our position, do the thing God called us to do. And in the doing of that, as we work together in harmony, we're able to be successful. But here's what happens. That's, that's the problem. That's the key area. Working in harmony, trying to avoid any divisions in the body, trying to avoid any conflict among God's people. You know, you'd like to think after we get saved that all of a sudden we just love each other so much that we never have any disagreements, never have any hard feelings, never do anything wrong, never mistreat anyone, always willing to forgive others. But it just doesn't always work that way. And so we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when we get serious about serving God and present ourselves to do that, all of a sudden we meet with opposition. It's not a question as to whether or not it will come. It's a matter of when it will come. It's going to. You might as well get ready for it. And how we deal with it when it comes is the big issue. So we need to be prepared because you mark it down. If you haven't encountered some difficulty in trying to do the Lord's work, you're going to. It's going to happen. So Paul is speaking here about the need of building and maintaining unity in the church. And notice there in verse number 16, before we look at our text tonight, we left off with this last week. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. So uh, here we see him talking about building and maintaining unity in the church. But now... Now he gets down to the nitty-gritty, down to that part where the rubber meets the road, and he's going to show us how that's done, what we have to do in order to maintain unity in the church. Look at verse number 17, 
And here he says, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. So the first thing on Paul's list uh, has to do with abstaining from revenge. Notice what we shouldn't do. He says recompense. That means, uh, that means to pay back. Don't pay back any man evil for evil. You know, that's a hard habit to break because, you know, from childhood, most of us have been practicing the art of getting even with people that mistreat us. I mean, you know, we don't always just come right out and, you know, give them a pie to the face. We... <laughs> We don't, we don't necessarily, you know, put rocks in their gas tank or uh, key the side of their car or do something like that. But, you know, we've got it in the back of our mind. They did me wrong in some way or another. I'm going to express my displeasure. I'm going to make them pay in some way. Even if all I do is to withhold the praise and the honor from them that, you know, that they rightly deserve... Uh, you know, just if I can make them look bad in the sight of other people. But the fact of the matter is the Bible tells us that true love does not retaliate. If you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, and for some of you, no doubt, you've never really read and studied uh, this chapter. In fact, I'll tell you this, I almost, I almost had decided to teach this chapter when I settled on Romans chapter number 12. And we'll get to this someday. But notice verse number 5. It says concerning charity or love, that it doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. So the, the solution for the problem is what? Well, that we really truly love one another. So he says what we shouldn't do, don't try to pay back someone, but notice what we should do. We're back in our text now, verse 17. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. That word provide comes from a word that means to plan or attend or to care for. And the whole idea is that we are to conduct ourselves in a manner so as to win the confidence of other people. We are to prepare ourselves, notice here, prepare ourselves, do those things that are honest in the sight of all men. Because, mark it down, people are watching. People are watching how you respond to your difficulties. And, and too many times, whenever we exercise revenge against them, we end up making a fool out of ourselves. We ruin our testimonies as a result of it. And here he's telling us, in order to avoid trying to pay back others for the evil against us. He said, provide things honest. Make plans to do what's right when you've been done wrong. What happens to most of us? Most of the time when we get in trouble, we act on impulse, right? And impulsive responses based on emotion always ends up getting us in trouble, and, and you, you just watch those people that are all of the time habitually returning evil for evil. You know, this is somebody I don't want to cross their path. I know they won't forget it. I know they won't laugh it off. I know they're not going to ignore it. I mean, this person is all cutthroat. They're going to get even some way or another. And you mark it down. Those people are the kind that always 
that are always acting on their emotions. Their emotions gets the best of them, and they don't take any thought for how their actions are going to affect others. You know, it's kind of like a woman told a preacher years ago about her uh, terrible temper, and everybody knew about it, and everybody was afraid of her. You know, she just thought it wasn't any big deal and made the statement, you know, that, uh, you know, I get over it real quick, and it's all done, and... The preacher said, yeah, you know, just like uh, uh, the blast from a 12-gauge shotgun. It's over in a hurry, but it does a lot of damage, you see. And a lot of times people forget that. And when we act on impulse, we're generally going to get ourselves in trouble. So if we're going to have harmony in the church, we've got to learn to abstain from revenge. Now look at verse number 18, because here's the second thing on his list. He says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you... Live peaceably with all men. Now, Paul is approaching this subject realistically. And I say that because Paul knew that that in certain instances, that regardless of how hard we try, regardless of how much effort we put forth, we're going to fail. And we fail because of the hatefulness or the stubbornness of the other person. You can't get along with everybody. I mean, just mark it down. There's some people, I don't care what you do, you're never going to be able to get along with them. That's just the way it, it, that they are. And, and, and it's too bad. But notice, he's telling you and me that we are to make every effort to live peaceably one with another. And so we ought to be striving to make friends out of our enemies. Do you ever stop to think about the fact that every friend of God was once a foe? Think about that. At one time, every friend of God was an enemy to God. Every one of us, because we all lived in rebellion against God until we repented of our sins and trusted Christ as our Savior. So we ought to be striving to make friends out of our enemies. And it doesn't make any difference what somebody else does. You and I ought to be working for peace, and that's what every church needs, some peacemakers, because without that, you mark it down, there are going to be divisions in the church, it's going to hinder the church, and sometimes can literally destroy a church. You know, when we think about defeating our enemies, that's, you know, that's one thing, but bringing about peace is another I want you to keep on thinking about that. Just, you know, defeating your enemy, that's one thing. But creating an atmosphere of peace, being reconciled to someone, being at peace, restoring a relationship, that's what we ought to be, you know, focused on. Somebody says, well, they're lucky I didn't punch them in the nose, you know, and I really held my temper and got over that, so that makes me a wonderful success. Well, not necessarily. You could still hate their guts and, huh? I mean, what, what does that prove? You didn't punch them in the face and that makes you right with God? Not at all. Not at all. We are to be working for peace as much as lieth in you. Maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, but, I, you know, I, I made an effort and they won't even, you know, they won't even take the first step or uh, they won't make any effort to come in my direction. Notice he said, as much as lieth in you. You stop worrying about their lack of cooperation. You think about what you can do as much as lieth in you. You need to be working for peace. Make every attempt 
to create an atmosphere of peace in the church. Now, verse number 19, notice what he says next. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Avenge not yourselves. You see, a lot of times we try to do what only God has the prerogative to do. Vengeance. Somebody says, oh, boy, vengeance is sweet. No, no, no. It's never sweet. It never is. It's a sinful act against God. And, And here's what we do. You know, instead of just leaving it in God's hands and say, you know, if God wants to deal with it, He'll deal with it in His way, we determine they did me wrong. Now, I'm going to do something to get back at them. Now, here's the question. You are motivated to do what you do as a result of some wrong they did, but now you turn around and do something that puts you right down on their level. And in other words, you're no better than they are now. So what did you accomplish? You didn't accomplish anything. In fact, you did more damage than good. Avenge not yourselves. So many times we think we've got to fight all of the battles, you know. We, we, we've got to win the victory. We just won't let it go. But notice what he says next. He says, give place to wrath. Give place to wrath talking about the anger that others have toward you and uh, their intent sometimes even to harm you. And he says here that we are to give place, that is to yield or to submit ourselves to the anger of our enemies. So when we've done all that we can, then we have to leave the rest of it with God. I'm thinking about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. This is one of the big problems in the church at Corinth. Remember, and we talked about this earlier in this chapter, the church at Corinth had all of the spiritual gifts. He said, you've come behind none of the other churches in the spiritual gifts. You have, you have them all, just like a lot of the churches. So, you know, it's not like, you know, not like you are inferior in that sense. You have all of the spiritual gifts. But the fact of the matter is, they could not use those spiritual gifts effectively. And one of the reasons was because of the great divide within that church. Some said, well, I'm of Paul. Some said, well, I'm of uh, Peter. Some said, I'm, I'm of Cephas. And, and I've, I've always said, you know, it's probably that really super spiritual group over there thought they was better than everybody. You know, said, well, I just follow the Lord, brethren. They might have been the worst of the lot. I don't know. But the church is divided. And so Paul says, look, I can't, I can't, I can't treat you, you know, like I should to where you can eat the meat of the word. I've got to deal with you like your little spiritual babies. And then he made this horrible indictment against them. He said, are you not carnal? What a sad thing that is, you know, to think about God's people, the Lord's church, acting uh, in a carnal manner. But in chapter number 6, now this had gotten so bad, they were going to court against each other. They were suing each other. You know, something would happen. Somebody would say, well, you know, if we bring it down to the way we operate today, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to let you get by with that. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. I'll see you in court. I'm going to make sure. Now, listen to me. I'll guarantee you, even even in church, there are going to be people 
that are going to take advantage of you. It, it, it happens all the time. I, you would be absolutely shocked if you knew everything that I know in regards to the Lord's church. And uh, you would be amazed at how generous and how kind and how loving some of our members are. They don't get up and toot their horn and tell everybody what they've done. But some way or another, that little bird the Bible talks about, some way or another, God has a way of, uh, you know, of bringing it to my attention. And, and, you know, I hear about that, and that is so wonderful. And then you would be even more shocked if you know, knew how some people have been so unfair with them. Uh, it's just mind-boggling. Are you kidding me? You know, after they helped you so much, after they did all of that, you're telling me that you would treat them that way? That is absolutely horrible. Look, that's what was going on in the church at Corinth. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to get back at you. And Paul makes a statement there that, boy, if we could put this into practice, he said in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 6, Why do ye not rather take wrong, why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? You know what he's saying in plain, simple English, you know? Just let them cheat you. Why don't you just let them cheat you? Don't drag the church's business into the courtroom. Don't make a laughing stock out of Christianity. Don't ruin your Christian testimony. Don't become a stumbling block to the unsaved in our community. Don't you dare go to court one against another. Don't you sue your brethren. Well, how are we going to do that? How am I, you know, how am I going to do it? He said, just suffer yourself to be defrauded. Let them cheat you. Let them take advantage of you. By the way, people will take advantage of you. That's, that's part of it. And, and, and we need to learn how to handle that when people take advantage of us. But you stop and think. I know this is easier said than done, right? Whenever somebody, you know, you, you've displayed love toward them and you've helped them and what have you, and then boom, I mean, just a slap in the face or, a, or a, you know, worse than that, stab you in the back. It hurts. It hurts. Somebody said, well... Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the stupidest thing anybody ever said. Words will tear you apart. And how many times Christians have been guilty, all because they're mad, and they're guilty of saying bad things about good people. Or they're guilty of saying bad things about bad people. Just shut up. You don't, you don't have to say that. You say, oh yeah, but they, they need to pay. Don't you think God knows that? Don't you suppose God's able to handle that situation? Just leave it in God's hands. Let them cheat you. And we don't have any right to insist upon our rights. You know, that's one of the crazy things wrong in our society today. I think I put it on Facebook the other day, a little thing that I had seen somewhere. It says, you know, one of the problems today is everybody's got rights and no responsibility. And that's where we're at today. I want my rights. I want my rights. And, and, and we see the result of that. The conflict and the bitterness and, and the hatred. And if they deserve to be punished, God's going to take care of it. 
Now I want you to look at verse number 20. And here Paul speaks about another thing that we need to do. Allow yourself to be mistreated, but notice now, assert yourself to do kind, to be kind and to do good. Verse 20, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You see, this is a step further than what we've been talking about, right? In other words, we shouldn't just accept the wrong and stop with that. You know, sometimes we think, oh, wow, boy, I'm a spiritual giant because somebody did me wrong and I didn't retaliate. And we break our arm patting ourselves on the back and we feel so proud of ourselves. But look, you haven't gone far enough yet. You say, you mean it's not good enough to, to just suffer the wrong, the injustice against me? You mean I've got to go further than that? Well, according to the Bible, according to what he's saying here, that we need to go beyond refusing to retaliate and demonstrate kindness toward that person. Treat them with kindness. You say, well, how do you do that? By meeting a need in their life. They're hungry, feed them. They're thirsty, give them to drink. Giving them what they need, not what they deserve. Boy, that sounds familiar. Well, it should, because that's what grace is all about. God gives us what we need instead of what we deserve. And we ought to do exactly the same to other people. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them to drink. Now, notice what he says next here in verse number 20. In in doing that, notice he says, uh, that we will heap coals of fire on their head. Now, somebody says, whoa, boy, that's what I've been waiting for. I want to I wanna burn them up. I want to get back at them. I want to see them suffer. I want to make them hurt. I want to inflict pain. That's not at all what that means. It means, in fact, just the opposite of that. Remember, Paul is speaking here in terms of conflict. We call that warfare. And that's the idea, and that's the picture. And so he's taking the picture, as it were, out of, uh, out of the manual of arms or whatever in defeating the enemy and using that as an illustration of what we need to do. And in those days, it was, and I know there's another theory that we're heaping coals of fire upon their head and those that talk about what we're actually doing is a practice back then, you know, they carried stuff on their head and we're providing the coal for people, uh, the coals for people to take home to light their fire, to warm their house, so we're being kind. But I think that's totally out of context as far as I'm concerned. He's talking here and using the analogy of warfare. And in those days, it was a common thing for when an enemy advanced against a city, they, would, they, they would, would have all of these coals of fire and they would dump them on the head of those advancing on the city. Now, the point of it is not in, for us to torture and, you know, hurt other people. He's saying that was the way that you overcome people. And that's the key to this. If we're going to overcome this situation, if we're going to get the victory in this, if we're going to defeat their bad attitude... If we're going to be victorious, 
by withholding vengeance and doing good, this is the way that we defeat the evil. Don't make it mean more than what it says. I think that's all that Paul is saying here. This is the way that we overcome evil, and that is with good. Now, he's going to explain that in verse number 21. Notice what he says. Same thought. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Notice the warning. He says, be not overcome. And a lot of people are. Be not overcome. Just let those words sink in for a little bit. Be not overcome. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, yeah, I know it happened to so-and-so, but I'm never going to let that happen to me. Boy, you're just ripe for a fall when you get to thinking like that. Pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. I'm telling you, it can happen to any of us. If we're not careful, we can be overcome. You you, you see, there's a lot of times whenever we're able to be victorious in certain areas, but, but Satan knows how to push all of the right buttons in order to set you off. And just as some, listen, just as some sins are not particularly enticing to some people, whereas they are somebody else's besetting sin, in, in other words, everybody's not tempted by the same thing. Some of you have never been tempted in your life maybe to drink a beer. And then you hear me get up here and say something like, you know, the thing that would taste better to me than anything on earth is beer. And I've been saved and preaching all of these years, and I'm not a drinker at all. I'm a teetotaler. But I'm just telling you, the taste, God didn't take away the taste. He gave me the power over the habit, but He didn't take away the taste of it. Now, just just as that is true, Satan knows where your weak link is. Satan knows. I can remember several years ago, I thought, now I could certainly from experience say, I have some difficulty in not getting bitter against people. That used to be a, quite a big problem in my life, in fact. But I never even dreamed that the biggest battle I would ever fight in regards to bitterness had to do with one of my own children. Wow. You talk about an humbling experience that whenever I got to that place that I had to admit that I don't have the right attitude and I'm so glad God helped me to settle that to where I could go to that child later on and make this statement Regardless of what you ever do, I love you unconditionally. And there is nothing you can do that will ever stop me from loving you. But I had to battle through that bitterness. And I'm telling you, folks, you, you have got to prepare yourself. You've got to be ready for it. Be not overcome. And then notice what he says. That's our warning, but notice our enemy. Because so many times we think the person is our enemy, and that's not true. He says, be not overcome with, with evil. And the specific evil mentioned here is that which is directed toward the, the, the believer. We're, we're not in a battle with one another. In fact, Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against evil, and it has to be overcome. It, has, it can't be ignored. 
you've got to overcome it if we're going to win. And that's what he says. Here's our orders. We have a warning. We see our enemy. And here's the orders. Overcome. So instead of being overcome, we are to be overcomers. And too many times we develop a defeatist attitude. But we ought to be overcomers. That is a war word. I mean, that is right off of the battlefield. And it implies that we are to be aggressive and not passive. In other words, we're not just to, you know, to, to sit back and say, well, so-and-so did me wrong, but at least I didn't punch him in the nose, and I'm going to ignore all of that, you know, just like, just like okay, that makes, that makes me a super saint now. No, it doesn't. Because remember, he's telling us beyond that, we're to do good to the other person. I think a lot of folks have understood that verse, you know, when the Lord's talking about turning the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. And, and the truth of it is, turning the other cheek is actually an act of aggression. Now, I want you to think with me here, because it puts us on the offensive instead of the defensive, and that's the only way to win. You, you, you've got to be on the offensive to win. This is a really crude illustration. You know, some people are all excited about the Texans and their, you know, the the draft and all of those great defensive players they got. I'm telling you, you know, that's well and good, but you can't win all of the games on defense. Somebody's got to score some points. And I'm telling you folks, listen folks, rather than just being passive and sitting back and letting, letting it come to you, you wouldn't think about doing that in a street fight if you're trying to protect your wife or your children and somebody's assaulting them and you've got to fight like it or not. I mean, you'd be stupid to stand there and say, well, just go ahead and take the first shot. No. If you've got to fight, you're going to fight to win. I mean, you've got to be the aggressor. And so if we're going to be overcomers, we've got to be aggressive. But, but here's what we've got to notice. Notice our weapon. We overcome evil with what? Good. That, that's your weapon. Did you ever think about good as being a weapon? You see, most of the time we try to overcome evil with what? With evil. They did me wrong. I'm going to do them wrong. I'm going to make them pay. And we always end up losing when we do that because what? We only spread the evil. You can't overcome darkness with darkness. It's impossible. If you're going to overcome darkness, you need what? Light. Light's the only thing that will overcome darkness. You can't overcome evil with evil. You just make it worse. You overcome evil with good. That's our weapon. That is our Christian duty, to do good to others. You know... uh, when we think about good, and we generally, normally we think about a weapon, we think about something to hurt other people. But here's the wonderful thing about this weapon. It's, it's not employed for the sake of hurting others, but rather for the sake of helping others. Let's think about it this way. Over in the early part, chapter number 2 of the book of Romans, it tells us, I think that's where it's at, it says... And the goodness of God leads us to repentance. 
I've often said, you know, I can remember as a boy laying out there at night in the backyard and just sleeping out there on a blanket and look up in the skies and think, wow, you know, there must be a God. Nobody ever talked to me about Him. Nobody ever told me about Him. I don't know anything about God. I've never read the Bible. don't even have a Bible. But I knew, you know, I'd heard the word God and I knew there must be a God. He must have a lot of power. He must be really wise. Just look at all of that. That is so amazing. So I could see a demonstration of God's power and a demonstration of God's wisdom. And later I knew some people that professed to be Christians and they were different and they were better. But but with with all of that, none of it brought me to the place that I was willing to repent and trust Christ as my Savior. You know, a lot of times we've got the idea if we can just frighten people enough, we'll scare them, you know, enough that they won't want to go to hell and they'll get saved. I, I think, remember, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And, and as most of you know, the verse that broke me down, broke my heart, just put me on my face before God and convinced me of my need of salvation was Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet... I was still in the bars then, and God's saying, I love you. It's as though God was saying to me what I said to one of my children years later, I love you and there's nothing you can do to make me stop. I'll never stop loving you. And the, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Now, look, folks, if that is the means that God employs to draw us to Himself, then don't you think that we ought to do as we're told here to overcome evil with the good? Don't ever try to get even with somebody. You can't do it. Overcome their evil with good. Many years ago, I jotted down in the margin of my Bible and I transferred it from Bible to Bible And because early in my ministry, I tore up these Thompson Bibles. One, I don't know how many I had. I've got a stack of them somewhere. I ripped them up, tore them up, and somewhere or another, this thing has lasted the 27 years or whatever it is I've been here, and I've babied this thing. And But I transferred that saying by, by Stephen Grillet, and, and this is what he said, and I know that you've heard it. I shall pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Now that, that is overcoming evil with good. That's what it's all about. Us showing others that we really do truly love them. If they're hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, you, you give them to drink. You overcome their evil with your good. And you just imagine in your mind what kind of a church we'll have if we all put this into practice. I'll tell you, the devil will never get a foothold in this church if we all covenant with God to do that very thing. I'm going to fail you sooner or later. I'm going to make some mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes already. I'm going to make some other mistakes. 
There will be times that I, that, I, that I will neglect to give you the attention and the praise that you deserve, and I'll fail to do that. There are going to be times that you're going to get angry with me or angry with Brother Kenneth or angry with somebody else in the church. I mean, it's, it's going to happen, no doubt. And uh, whenever, whenever you think about doing that, I'll tell you what, instead of doing that, go out here and find some fresh peaches, not can, fresh peaches, and make an old-timey peach cobbler out of those fresh peaches, the old-fashioned you know, old crust, not that other kind of stuff that floats up from the bottom, the old-timey crust, pie crust, and, uh, and bring it over to the house and do me good. <laughs> I'll take Kenneth's too. Well, hey, you know, we're in real danger, folks. We really are. We're in a hostile world. Satan hates us and will do anything he can to destroy us. And boy, I'll tell you, whenever you see God blessing like he's been and people being saved and the baptismal waters being stirred week after week, the devil doesn't like that. And he's going to work overtime trying to get the advantage of us. So uh, what I'm saying is get yourself ready. Just get yourself ready. Be prepared that when that time comes that you'll overcome the evil with good and everybody will be better off. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you, dear Lord, for loving us that although although we're sinners, vile, filthy, unclean, deserving of hell, Yet you loved us and you proved your love by the giving of your Son on the cross at Calvary. How we thank you for that. We thank you for the grace that gives us what we need instead of what we deserve. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and, and Lord, for the Scriptures that not only give us warnings but give us instructions in how we can better function as a church. And I just pray tonight that you'll help each and every one of us covenant in our heart, even at this very moment, that by the grace of God, we're not going to let Satan get the advantage of us, but we're going to overcome the evil with the good. We're going to be like Jesus instead of giving in to the lust of the flesh. For we beg it in His dear name. Amen.